You're listening to the Sensuality Project Podcast, where the messiness of real life gets sexy, hosted by Stacey Herrera. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes contain profane language and topics of a sexual nature that may not be suitable for children. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to another episode of the Sensuality Project Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Herrera. I am excited. I'm excited this week because I am talking with my really close sister friend, Melissa Danielle. Melissa is Melissa is like one of the core pillars in my sisterhood foundation. She's like someone that I can talk to about anything. Like we have really expansive, deep, retrospective, introspective, just we talk about everything. We talk about everything. She is one of the people that I turn to, especially when I am in a uncomfortable space relationship wise, (laughs) because she's so insightful. She's so objective. And she's so grounded in herself. And I just love that about her. So this conversation was so good and so juicy that I had to divide it in two. So this is part one of my chat with Melissa. And part two will come up next week. So stay tuned for that. And um, I don't know. This was just one of my favorite conversations so far. As I probably say that every week. I feel like that every week. But I just really, really enjoyed this chat so much. And I know that you're going to as well. I did have some technical issues on this chat. So I tried to clean the audio up as best I could. But, you know, give a sister a break. So don't be too judgmental about it. (laughs) It was too good for me not to use it, though. Like the conversation was so good that I couldn't not air it. That's how juicy it is. So here we go. Like we talk about foreplay often. So in an ideal world (laughs) where all of where everything is going your way, what does foreplay look like? Uh, Foreplay. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because it's it's a that's an ongoing. The absence of it is an ongoing conversation that I have uh, that I'm having with my partner. Um, Foreplay for me is is really physical and really sensual. So there's there's a lot of massage. Uh, there's a lot of making out and kissing. Uh, and so and then there's just a, and in within that, it's the it's the buildup. It's what I really need um, out of foreplay is the buildup, is the is the intensifying each each touch, each kiss, the longer the kiss, the longer the touch, um, building up and intensifying until that point where it's like, you know, I need you to put your hands on my pussy or I need penetration or um, something. But before that, it's just, I need the buildup for sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. Like how Hmm. many, about how many minutes does it take you to, to not start lubricating, but to actually feel arousal? Um, that's a good question. I think I need a minimum of 15 minutes in general. Um, a really good kisser could probably make it happen for me sooner. Um, but I definitely, you know, even just, even just before that, I feel, I feel like I have to, it needs to be said that 
I need to be in a constant state of turn on, regardless of of how long the foreplay is. And so what that what that looks like for me is is that I have to really be taking care of myself. My self-care really has to um be rigorous and intentional. So it means that I have to be hydrated. I have to I have to feel loose and sensual. I have to I have to feel juicy. That's the word really actually. I really need to be feeling juicy. Uh and so if um if I'm already feeling juicy because that's what I really mean when I need to already be turned on is that if I am tired, if I am hungry, dehydrated, if I'm frustrated about something, I'm going to need a lot longer foreplay. Um, and so, yeah, so I, so I think that even before I get that physical contact with someone um, that I need, I need to be, there are things that I need to be doing for myself. My juiciness I, is a, needs to be, um, I need to be overflowing, you know? So, um, for sure, my cup, like everything in that cup is for me. So I need to be in the overflow. And then that's, that will determine, um, the foreplay, what happens during foreplay and how, um, how quickly I become aroused. I love that you took some ownership because I think that so often we put it all on the other person. I know I have done that often, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but then recognizing, I mean, I remember having an experience where I was like, I'm just not into this. And then thinking the fact that I'm thinking that thought means I'm not in my body. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And even to um, what's really, I, what's really interesting is because I've been a quiet advocate for sex work. And, um, Amen. and, and what I find fast, cause, cause what, cause what, what fascinates me about, there's several levels of sex work that fascinate me, but there are moments when I'm having sex and two things come up where, or even just in the history of my sexual activity where I have, and even my other, the other practices that I have, um, integrated into my life, I've just, I've, noticed where I did not have to be attracted to the person to have an amazing experience. Um, I did not have to be invested in them, you know, to have an amazing experience. And there are also plenty of moments where I'd be having sex with someone and I was just like, wow, I need to be paid for this because just, just something clicking in that moment and realizing that sex is so many things and sometimes sex is not for the both of you. It just might be for that person with that. You're as the, as the receiver, um, as the receiver, you know, that feminine aspect as the healer, the creator, the nurturer, sometimes holding space for someone is having sex with them so that they can get something that they need. Um, and so I'm just like, yeah, I need to be paid for this. <laughs> I am so. so with you. I'm so with you. But you know, do you find, do you find that it is, that it's much harder to be the space holder when you are emotionally involved with the person? Yes. Um, 
Yes. So when you when you are integrating someone into your life, um, yeah, they, you I, you have these. I want to. Yeah, you have you have this attachment. You have these expectations. You you want that other person. I mean, well, let me speak for myself. When I whether it's a platonic or a romantic relationship, I want the best for that person. I want I want them to become the best version of themselves and to to be in continuous pursuit of whatever that best version is. Uh even if even if it really ultimately means that their best is without me, um that can be difficult but sometimes necessary and you work you deal with that as it comes. Um but yes because when you're in a relationship with someone when that person is at their best, it inspires and motivates and, and holds you accountable to yourself. You know, like I'm, I'm always surprised when I see um, couples and one person is really ambitious and the other person is just along for the ride. I'm always, I'm fascinated by how that works because I feed off of the energy. Like it's, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a loop. You know, I'm I'm feeding off their energy and and I'm giving them my energy back. You know, so it's this this continuous loop of, you know, how can we be great all the time? Even in the mundane, you know, how can we be be how can we be always um doing better, giving better, being fully engaged? And I just and I don't see how you can be that way when that other person is playing small in their own lives, no matter what it is, you know, like if they're half-assing in any way, how are they, to me, it's like, if you're half-assing with this, with the stuff that you're supposed to be doing in your own life, that means you're half-assing in our relationship because how you show up to one thing is how you show up to everything. I agree wholeheartedly. And I've seen those couples and been just as perplexed. (laughs) Like, how is this even possible? You know, I don't think that inspired is one of the things that a lot of people think that they need to get from their relationship. But I want to be with somebody that makes me want to be a better woman just because fucking fucking woke up this morning. And I'm like, God damn, I need to brush my teeth a little longer and floss a little better because he up in there getting... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, right. I want to be with someone that makes me notice where I am falling short on myself, that that their reflection is 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 sometimes a, a signpost right. for for me, you know, and I don't now I can't say that I've been in a lot of relationships where I felt that way. But, you know, it's interesting because once if if I'm with someone in any length of time. And there is not something that I find admirable about them. I get disinterested. Yeah. Yeah. I get disinterested yeah. very quickly. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally agree with them. I'm, I'm thinking back to some instances, you know. Yeah, especially to, I'm not, I'm not really big on, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted by potential. Um, Thank you, which is not the I'm same a, thing as actually doing something. Right. I'm exhausted by potential. I'm exhausted. Again, I'm not interested in a project. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being in a relationship and, and observing that 
the way that I'm showing up and the way that I'm presenting myself might be new to the person and giving them the space to adjust themselves and to decide if, um, if, you know, there's an opportunity for growth in our relationships, always, always another fucking growth opportunity. And you have to decide when you are in a relationship, if you want to be right, or if you want to be in a relationship. So if you want to be in relationship, you're going to do whatever you need to do to grow and develop yourself so that you can show up the way that you need to show up so that you can maintain and and keep this relationship. And if you want to be right, then chances are that's the end of the relationship because it can't, those two can't operate together. So, you know, I, so yeah, I definitely don't, I'm not interested in projects. I'm not interested in building someone up um, so that they can be better for me or better for the next person. I'm I'm interested in them um, recognizing that their gifts and their talents and recognizing that the person that they're in relationship with is in full support of that. And, and that, that me being inspired by you charges you up to keep, to keep up and keep going with whatever it is that you're being or doing. And, and so that if that's the reciprocity that we're each charging each other up because we're so inspired and we're so exciting at, at, um, who we are and what we're doing and how we're living. And that's, and I, and that also adds to my juiciness, you know? So if my, if my partner isn't taking care of himself, and that's also one of my agreements too, that I, um, I think I got this from, um, what's his name? His name is Mark. I think his last name. Um, he has a really popular site on personal development. He, I think he wrote, that book, um, how not to give a fuck, whatever. Like I'm trying to remember oh, that type. Oh, I can't think of his name. Either. Yeah, it was a that book guy earlier this year, or yeah, the art of the art of not giving a fuck or something. Yes, great book yes. by the way. Right, I can't think so of either, but I know who you're talking about. So years ago, he wrote something about relationships, and in it, he was saying that his agreement is. I promise to take care of me for you if you promise to take care of you for me. And I said, you know what? That is that is the absolute fucking best. And so, and I've tried to lead with that in all of my relationships, whether well, it's I family. You telling me that, and and yeah. I adapted it from you. I didn't know where you got it from. I just yeah. It like- <laughs> and I'm just like that was just like ping, you know. And so, um, because at the time when when I when I came across that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of this, this yoga practice space of talk of, um, letting go of attachment. Right. And, and I'm also having these conversations with myself, um, around non-monogamy and what happens, how we, how monogamy, um, traps us into not growing and being better. There are ways that it does that, uh, because, oh, well, I have this person. What, what else do I need to do? Cause I've, I've got the man, I've got the woman. So I don't need to do anything else. I don't, or, or I can stop doing it because I already got the thing. I already, this is, I've got the achievement. So I don't need to keep doing better or getting better or growing or whatever. And, um, and so I had, I was, even in myself, I just said, you know, I can't, um, I cannot, I don't want to be in partnerships where 
I'm the be all end all for my partner and vice versa. I don't want to be in partnerships where people think that they don't have to keep putting in the work because they got the relationship because they got the girl. Um, and so, you know, and then I'm, and then I think, you know, aspects of my childhood and the ways that I have always, the ways that I've been socialized or conditioned to think about adulthood. One of the things that's most important for me is that I'm always, I'm in control of, of my thinking and feeling and my time and my money, et cetera. And so when I saw that, I was just like, that is, that encompasses everything about the way that I want to move in the world and the way that I want to feel. So my first responsibility is to myself. For me, if and if I'm not taking care of myself, then I cannot show up fully in this relationship with you. So I'm prioritizing my self-care above all. Um, and if that means that I have to create boundaries, uh, physical or emotional, then I'm, then I'm doing that. Because, because only then uh, can I show up and, and be present, uh, be in my body, be present in the relationship, and also not be resentful. Because that's, that's a, another thing that would come up for me is that I would, I, when, I, when my relationships were, would start to break down, it would occur to me that I was showing up um, more in the relationship than I was getting. And in doing that, I wasn't taking care of myself. So I didn't have anyone to be upset with but myself. And so moving forward, I have to take care of myself. I cannot uh, put that responsibility on my partner to do the things for me that I need to be, that only I can do for myself. I agree. And I think that resentment, resentment isn't a nail in the coffin. It's a stake in the heart. Like mm -hmm. once resentment has taken up resident, when, when resentment has become the triad <laughs> in your relationship, it's, it's a deal breaker. Yes. It's a deal breaker because parts of your body start to turn off. All of a sudden, when you're like, my libido is low, no, you're resentful. And so your pussy's now deciding that it's, it's dried up. Yeah. Is do not disturb. Like it is not going to participate. It happens with with men, with erections. Like they get resentful and all of a sudden they think that they have erectile dysfunction, but they really don't. It's mm -hmm. it, it's a deal breaker. Yes, for sure. And that was it was really hard for me to recognize that. And in in one of in my um, my one of my most important long term relationships um, that was really difficult for me to acknowledge and to accept. And but and when I did, though, that was just like, I have to leave. And I, and like, I, I need to leave before I actually hate him. You know, so so I want to leave and still love him and still be his friend and still care about his well-being. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point, though, because about ending, you know, so often I, I hear this from friends. I hear this from clients that they think that the ending of a relationship for one means that it that it was a failure, um, that it was a waste of their time, that it was all of these things. But that has never been my experience. With it's the It's never been my experience. It's never like, been. It just changed. It changed yeah. shape. And now we no longer relate to one another in the way that we once did. But I can't think of, well, maybe one person, but it was a very short relationship and they had some work to do. But <laughs> otherwise, mm -hmm. 
most of the people that, and I haven't had, I've, I've had sex with more people than I've actually been in relationships. Same for me. Um, but for the people that I was actually in a relationship with, you'd be hard pressed to find one that doesn't have great things to say about me because girl, just hello. (laughs) And that is one of, that is one of my most prideful uh, <laughs> yeah I'm I am proud of that for sure I definitely I I you know if I would be I would be surprised if any of my exes had something negative to say about me you know That's and and I broke about who you are though. yeah I broke this man's heart you know this important relationship I broke his heart but if you called him today he wouldn't have anything negative to say about me. If I called him and said that I needed something, he would be right there. He would be right there. That speaks volumes to the fact that you take good care of yourself. Even when it doesn't look like it needs to look, because you know, sometimes self-care, some days it's a 10, some days it's a two. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but it speaks volumes about how you show up. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm vain. I am I am still enamored with my reflection, just as I was when I first discovered it as a toddler. I am still vain. And in terms of like relationships, when some when somebody else is acting up, my vanity prevents me from acting up with them. (laughs) (laughs) That as soon as they start acting up, even though I want to act up, too, because sometimes people really be asking for it. But I always think if I act up with you. You're going to validate your wrongness. Yes. And I would rather you not have anything to measure up against except for your foolishness. And it, and if that means that I have to swallow some pride pills, I will swallow mm-hmm. them. Because when this is finished, when you look back at the situation and the circumstance, the only thing you're going to see is you acting a damn fool and yes. me being a, an observer of you acting a damn fool. And mm-hmm. a, a lot, oftentimes, like I've had girlfriends be like, I can't believe you just being stupid, not saying nothing. And I was like, it, it's going to take a while, but this person is going to eat every fucking word. Yes. Because if I participate, all they're going to be able to say, I knew she was crazy. Mm-hmm. Rather than <laughs> I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Because she didn't say anything or she didn't do anything. Initially, that wasn't as conscious. Like now, now it's a conscious choice. Before though, it was a vanity choice. <laughs> it was me trying to look good. It just worked out in the long run. But I think that that's a really important part is in terms of disagreeing. People that spend a lot of time in relationships focusing on how much, how compatible we are, how well we get along, if we like some of the same things, if we like doing the same things, if we're on the same page in terms of where we see ourselves in five years and all those things. But I think that one of the most important pieces of relationship is how you disagree, because Mm -hmm. how you disagree speaks volumes about you as a person way more than how you act right. How you act up tells a lot about you. So sometimes it takes a long time in a relationship because, you know, it's it can be hearts, flowers and um, starbursts, you know, for years before something major happens where you have to be in the space where it requires one or both of you to take a step back or to calm the fuck down or whatever. But it's in those moments when you really can see the true nature of somebody. Yes. Yes. Oh my yes. God. Is there anything that grows you more than a relationship besides business? <laughs> I, yo, you know, it's, it's fat. Yeah. You know, ugh. yeah. Love and livelihood for sure. Those are, 
those are the the most intensive personal growth experiences that you will have is being in a relationship with someone and growing a business. Yes. Yes. There's so much inner and outer work that you have to do to to have what you want and and to yeah, yeah, I think yeah, just even thinking about that, I think we have um we've been indoctrinated with the happily ever after, you know, whether it's Disney or Hollywood romance movies that every that the women are always swept off their feet by these really suave and captivating men um and but there's there's all this work in between that never gets spoken about and you know about how you maintain that you know and um yeah and it's just but but if you're if you're really committed and you're really in it then you do have to acknowledge that it's that it's about your own personal growth um and that's that's actually been why i've stayed in relationships where other people have been like you stay there too long and i just go well there's but there's something that i needed confirmation or validation for something i needed to continue to put the work in for myself before i could say okay now it's time for me to to move on um and it's it's the same as with a business like if you you're working for a company, you know, um, before you quit a job, you know, did you get everything that you needed from this job? Are there more skills that you, that you need to develop to take into the next place? Uh, do you need to save some more money? Um, do you need to build some more relationships so that when you walk away, you're not just at a loss about what you're going to do next or how are you going to ask for, um, how are you going to create the next position or opportunity? You know, it's, a, it's the same thing. How you show up to one thing is how you show up to everything. Um, yeah, and I think that people, for sure, the same way we think about how we leave jobs, you know, that we have an exit strategy for jobs, whether you write a letter of resignation or um, you give your two weeks notice. Um, aside from those moments where you know, the environment is unsafe and you actually have to leave right now, you know, you, you, it's, it's okay for you to think about, you know, how you, how you want to end a relationship in the same way you think about how you would want to leave a job. It's okay to have that conversation. And that's another thing that people don't do where, you know, like you said, like, you know, like, let's have a conversation about how we are going to disagree about stuff. Or um, what happens if we can't resolve our differences? How do we end this relationship intact? As much as we can be intact, how do we end this relationship as um, responsible and healthy individuals? It is. There isn't a lot of conversation again because the how we do work and and relationships are very closely tied. But, you know, when you start a job, before you accept the job, you talk about salary, you talk about benefits, you talk Mm -hmm. about days off. I got a vacation coming up. You know, am I going to be able, I need to be able to still go. I'm not going to be here for this day and that day. I need these particular um, religious holidays or whatever the the negotiating part is. But we don't do that in relationships, especially because, like you said, we We've gotten this romanticized introduction 
into what a relationship is supposed to look like because we've seen it in the in the on the movies, we've read it in books. And I love romantic shit, by the way. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at it and not look at it as fiction, um, it's very easy to be disenchanted mm-hmm. in real life because yeah. it looks like that. And if that's your measuring stick, then you're always going to be off by a foot or two. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and people don't negotiate, though, on the front end of a relationship. And then they don't renegotiate because at a job you get a performance review. Yes. That's your opportunity to renegotiate. Absolutely. You get yeah. to say, I need this. I need that. This isn't working. This is working. I could use a little more training in this. I could use some more help in this area. In relationships, it's like at the beginning, are we together? Like that's mm-hmm. basically like we're together and whether and usually there is not even any talk about what together means because right because everyone thinks right. everyone assumes their monogamy is their version of monogamy is the same right and most mm-hmm. often it isn't so if I look at her booty is that cheating if if we're together and her booty is so big that I can't help but follow it down the street is am I cheating if I have a conversation about a woman with a with a woman mm-hmm. about our disagreements and my breaking of a rule, like, you know, like there's no conversations. So oftentimes people break rules or trust that they didn't even know was a thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's no check-in. So even if there is, however small a conversation at the beginning, after that, there's no more conversation. So then five years down the line, and usually doesn't take five years, but let's say five years, five years down the line, your needs are not being met because your needs have changed because you're not the same woman that you were when you enter the relationship. And there was no performance review. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there was no performance review. Interestingly enough, I'm reading the book right now. Let me see. I brought it in here because I flagged a couple of pages because I knew that it, I didn't know where the conversation was going to go, but I had a feeling. But the book is called Watch Me Disappear. And it's fiction because fiction has such. I'm going to write that down. It's so good. In fact, I checked it out from the library and it was due yesterday and I cannot put it back because I still have a quarter. I'm willing to pay the fine because well, I still go have a see. quarter to well, go. Yeah, definitely go take the book back and say, can I check it back out? Pay well, my that's fine, the thing. check it back out. I, I, didn't, I didn't max out the checkouts, but somebody's waiting on it. So I'm going to- Oh no, well, you can't take that book. <laughs> I'm staying up tonight. I stayed up to 1.30 last uh, night trying to get through. But the book is, the premise of the book is this woman disappears and it's a year later and then she's she's presumed dead so now okay. her husband of course is being charged with the task of declaring her legally dead because all of his money and all that stuff is all tied up can't get a life insurance payout nothing because there's nobody you know or whatever and so mm-hmm. you know he has to run an ad in the paper you know as a last ditch effort have you seen this woman if it's you can you call all this stuff or whatever and now all of a sudden he's discovering things that he didn't know about her. And he was writing a memoir and a a memoir, all lovely things. Cause they're like chapters of the book that are just like parts of his book. And then he starts to discover things about his wife that he didn't know. And now his, the memoir is turning dark and he starts to, starts to remember and acknowledge the things that he chose to close his eyes about. Wow. And and I when I was reading it, I thought like, oh my God, I know that I've had relationships where I was so, my nose was so wide open that I couldn't see for looking. Mm-hmm. And then 
something happened or the person did something and I was forced to actually see. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and you tell me if this has ever happened to you, one of the things that I notice when when I'm enamored with somebody, a lot of time can go by and I can still feel charged and attracted and all of those things. But once there is a truth that cannot be reconciled, not only do I see them differently, but they smell different to me too. Oh, wow. Like, hmm, I'd have to think about that one. But um, wow, yeah, everything changed. Everything, like I had an experience where And this was someone I had never had. We disagreed, but we'd never had any. It was just like, you know, he'd have an opinion. I'd have an opinion, but we just didn't see things the same way. No big deal. We had had lots of those moments. In fact, those were some of our best conversations. But then there was this thing that was a truth that he kept hidden. And when it came out, it jarred me awake. And after that, I remember smelling his fucking feet and thinking, I ain't smelled your feet in all these years and those feet stink. But I couldn't even smell because love, when you love somebody, not only does it make the world more beautiful and it does, it makes Mm -hmm. food taste better and it makes stuff smell good because the chemistry in your body will literally turn off anything that is adverse to the experience you desire to create. But once the wool is open, once the wool is off your eyes, everything, including scent, comes back to reality. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even be in the bed with his feet. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I have to really think about that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've heard, and I don't think women realize it, but like, I remember being younger and hearing a family member complain about her husband and talk about how she couldn't stand his breath. And once Mm -hmm. I got older and had that experience, because I thought you dated him and you married him. And I always could smell his breath, like thinking, oh, it was terrible. But when I heard her saying that now, fast forward to me being a grown up, I was like, oh, she probably didn't smell his breath because it was he had the kind of breath that when you were around him, you think like, how does she even lay in bed with you? You know what I mean? It was like really pungent. But now I'm like, she probably didn't smell that. And that's how she was able to be with him. Because she couldn't smell it until her feelings changed. And once her feelings changed, her nose literally opened. I really have to. to Biology is powerful. It is. It is. It's kind of like ovulation. You know, your face looks completely different. Okay. So I, speaking of that, I, I was, I actually told a friend of mine the other day that I really need to keep a journal about this. Because a week ago, I was looking at myself and I said, wow, you look really young. Like in this particular moment, you look really, really young, like just youthful. And I was just like, whoa. And and yes, and I was ovulating, you know, and so I was just like, this is amazing. (laughs) Because like the body knows exactly, you know, I'm still in that space of where are the fertile men? And so (laughs) my body is positioning me for it to be the most attractive to the the available fertile men. You know, it's funny. And I was just like, whoa. (laughs) In in my, um, when I ovulate, I get a message that says you're ovulating talk sweet. 
(laughs) Because like I put it in there to say that because your voice is more appealing when you're ovulating. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to remind myself to use that to my advantage when I am ovulating to also not just sound sweet to somebody, but say sweet things. Yes. Oh, that's Um, awesome. I might have to feel that. It's so powerful. I mean, everything changes about the way that you look, your smell, your skin is more clear, you're more radiant. And again, your voice changes. It's more, it's, well, you've got an amazing voice anyway, so I can only imagine. Girl, you can get anything you want when you're off the lake. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pay more attention now. I just, I, I specifically noticed that my face just looked softer and rounder and younger. Um, and I was just like, whoa, that's really interesting. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start paying attention now to my voice to see how that changes. And well, you some probably other things. won't be able to hear it, but maybe you should maybe be. <laughs> I'll, I'll do. You know yourself. Yes. Yeah. Because you'll be able to hear the difference in your own voice when it's on a recording as opposed to through your own ears. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to hear what how that's. uh <laughs> Take, I'm writing this down so I don't forget. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how that sounds for you. It's so powerful. It's awesome. It's so powerful. Well, let's like, let let me, um look, your, the foreplay question was so good. So now I'm going to ask you, since we're talking about um, the senses, what's, what taste do you enjoy on a man's breath? Wow. Um, I've never thought of that and I have no idea. Well, you know what made me think of it and what, what made me ask you was because I told you I had this uh, this whiskey shot here in case yes. I got froggy. And I do not particularly enjoy whiskey or bourbon or whatever or scotch even, any of the brown liquors actually. But I love the taste of bourbon on a man's mouth. I probably would say, you know, it would it would be and I'm a bourbon drinker. Right. And I'm and I've been around whiskey drinkers. Um, it's it's probably more smell for me than it is taste. Well, I think like because you know how when you are tasting wine or especially, but it's it's I think it's more um potent when you're tasting like a brown liquor. Like I had gone to a Chivas um tasting, okay. and one of the you know like so they 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 ask you to taste it, but then they tell you to smell it and you smell it with your mouth closed. But it's a completely different experience when you smell it with your mouth open. I have to. Because one, when your mouth is open, you can actually taste the scent. And so that's what it's like, like tasting a man's mouth when he's got like bourbon. Oh, my God. It is so fucking sexy. I have to. I, I'm going to have to. Re, we're going to have to revisit this. Because yeah, now, like, now I'm going to be like, OK, honey, eat this. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be trying to figure out how to secretly do this with any man. You know, and it's, it was an accidental discovery. Just like, let me discovery. just get up close. Yeah, it was an accidental discovery. I was with someone <laughs> and he was drinking a glass of bourbon. And again, I'm not like a brown liquor drinker. Um, and when he got close to me, before I even touched his mouth, I, my mouth was open and I inhaled and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I was like, don't kiss me. Just come here. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was so delicious. that I, I, And again, it's not something I do not particularly enjoy the flavor mm-hmm. drinking it myself. 
but to smell it and taste it on someone's mouth is really sexy. I have to, I, that has never, it's never occurred to me. I really have to, I have to think about that. I mean, I know what taste would turn me off. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's usually, that's usually cigarettes and um, weed that, that turn me, the taste of that turns me off. Um, but I haven't, I haven't, I do not recall being turned on by um, a taste. So I have to think about that. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was pretty shocked because I would not have even, it just happened to line up. And I was like, oh my God, that I like that. I didn't even know. I would never have even, you know, because usually even when you think about like food and sex, it usually has to do with you putting food on a body and licking it off or something, mm-hmm. but not just like this transference almost. Yes. Oh yeah. How their body is, is assimilating it. And yeah. yeah. I was, yeah, turned, I was surprised. And, turned on by a taste. Yes. It was pretty <laughs> amazing. I was like, mm. and it was like, it was a really, it was an old bourbon too. Like it was aged and it was like an expensive, I can't remember the brand because I'm not into it, but it was like something like really old and aged. And like, I could smell the oakiness and everything. It was so, I was like, oh, this is so nice. It was very sensual. Wow. Yeah, it was very sensual that I was very surprised. But, and, I, and I'd forgotten about it until, until I poured this shot. And I was like, you know, <laughs> I have chamomile tea here in case my throat got froggy. And I was like, and in case I start to feel stuffy, I'm going to just have this shot here and I'll just sip on it to, to keep me open. That is definitely something to add to. I mean, do you talk about this in, in the sensuality, sensuality project uh, to how to really have sex and intimacy be this this full body experience in in my group program um that ended several months ago we did talk about be, about sensuality being a thing because so often when you hear that people automatically think sex and i'm like but it's all of the things in addition to that yes. create the sensual moment it isn't penetration it's the you know i mean cuz it's very sensual even to just like look look at someone eating your pussy that's like sensual yeah. it's not just like the feeling it's just like the thing or you know men love to look at women licking their dick it's like you know because it's a very a, a very visual sensual thing and it enhances the experience just like just like ha- tasting bourbon you know smelling it with your mouth open changes it completely or even like with wine it's the same thing if you're a wine drinker you know, when you smell the wine, if you smell it with your mouth open, those, you know, when you hear people and they're like, oh, this one has hints of citrus and floral and blah, blah, blah. You can't smell that shit unless your mouth is open. When your yeah. mouth is open, you're like, oh, there's the honeysuckle. You know, you know, rancid grapes or whatever. But the minute you open your mouth, it enhances the experience. It changes. You can then experience the flavor notes that they're talking about. And I think that, you know, so often people think that there's something that they smell, but smell is a very elusive um, sense. And it's not like there's not a lot lot of um, intel, like a lot of information on smell besides they know that it's linked to emotion. They know that it's linked to memory, but they don't really have a lot of concrete stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's experiential. Yeah. You know, it's experiential. 
if you're not feeling, if you're feeling depressed, that's a great way as opposed to sad. You know, your nose is not very impacted if you're just sad. But if you're depressed, your smell is severely impacted. Um, but there's no, no one tells you. So everything sexual is different if you invite all of your senses to the yes, table. for sure. It's more, in, it's not, I mean, that's what being in your body is. Mm-hmm. Is using the tools that came with your body to enhance your experience. I mean, and sex is one way, but we can do it with everything. Like mm-hmm. you know, eating a meal with your eyes closed, the same way when you get ready to pull into a parking space, you parallel parking and it's tight. The first thing you do is turn off the radio. Turn the music down. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's the same thing with food. Like if you really want to have a powerful eating experience, close your eyes and feel the texture, smell the flavors, taste, you know, it's because it's not most of the time we just put food in our mouth and we barely chew it. You look at your yeah. stool, a lot of the stuff is whole because you didn't even chew. You just put it in your mouth, chewed twice and swallowed. Mm-hmm. And it's not just corn that you're seeing full in, in full effect. <laughs> it's other stuff too. But if you, when you close your eyes, it's very challenging to not be present with all of the sensation and the texture and the smell and the flavor. You can, you can narrow down the spices where you're like, that is not cinnamon. That's nutmeg. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Very <laughs> different flavor, you know, but when, if you just eating it regular, you think everything tastes the same. Oh, that's cinnamon. No, there's no cinnamon in here. So, um, <laughs> but sex is like that too, when you savor it, but I have also found that keeping my eyes open helps me to stay in the room. I've had that for me too. And that's interesting too. Um, When I was um, practicing orgasmic meditation and we would do the group ohms, um, a lot of the facilitators would give the direction to close your eyes. And I, and, and that would annoy me because there are moments where I I needed to bring myself back into the space and and opening my eyes and looking at my partner, even if I didn't actually see what his hands were doing was a way for me to reconnect to him, for sure. Particularly when there's eye contact. Yeah, yeah. I started, powerful I started kissing with my eyes open, too, as an experiment, too. How do you um, now, do you find that you get distracted looking when you see someone so up close that you get distracted from the experience? No, um, no. It's also too because um, um, I do have a partner that um, kisses with his eyes open, which I first thought was I still kind of think is weird. But I'm but so sometimes I just look at him um, at his eyes. So it's it's weird. So I guess, I guess it just depends um, if I'm really if it's a makeout set, like if we're really making out. Um, then, then I have, I close my eyes so I can just feel more. Um, but I've been, I, I'm, I don't have any conclusions yet. It's still too early for me. I'm still. Well, let me know. Doing, yeah. I, I still kiss with my eyes closed for the most part, unless, unless it's during sex. But I have found that I really enjoy sex with the light on. Okay. And I enjoy being able to really look in the person's eyes if the person can stay with me. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes people turn away, not because they don't want to be present, because they're afraid of what emotion you're going to see. Mm-hmm. So if the person can be there with me, it really, I can be in my body and stay in the room. And 
my orgasms are more intense and they, in fact, my, I have way more orgasms with my eyes open if the person can be with me. Okay. It's, um, so good. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, so good. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about consent. I was just having a conversation with my girlfriend earlier today and I was telling her about an experience I had with someone where we had gone out and he seemed he was being very gentlemanly and so when it was time for the night to end and we hug he you know kissed me on the cheek but I was feeling aroused and so I knew he wasn't going to say anything so I said can I put my tongue in your mouth and she was like well what What? And she's like, why did you ask him instead of just doing it? And I said, because he, because it was obvious to me that he was being very careful. And I wasn't sure if he was being a gentleman or if that was a boundary. And because I wasn't sure, I didn't want to just lean in and start putting my tongue in his mouth. So instead I asked him if it was okay, because that gave him the option to say yes or no. And then that cleared space for me to say like, oh, he was being careful as opposed to that was a boundary that he didn't want to cross because not everybody liked tongue kissing. So then right. she said, well, why do, why, do we, why do you think we need to, why do we kiss with tongues in each other's mouths? And I said, because that's a very primitive thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very primitive thing. You know, and it actually even also, babies put things in their mouths to, uh, that's how they learn to identify Absolutely. differences. And that's exactly you know, what I yeah. told her. <laughs> they can tell, you know, it's like they can tell the difference between a, a key and a pen, you know, like, because they, because of that, that oral identification. And, and it's just, yeah. Um, tongue kissing is another way. It's an exchange. It's another yeah. way to communicate and to explore and to understand someone. Um, I think that we take words too seriously. That's an issue in our culture. And and I'm saying that (laughs) I'm saying that as a, um, as a motor mouth, I'm saying that as someone who can likes to talk about everything for days that we take words too seriously. I am right. And as a fellow motor mouth, I agree. (laughs) You know, and and even to go, even to go further with that, you know, and to just go, even just to say that women operate from the neck down. And, and even though your tongue is above your neck, the act of it is a, is a full body. It's, it's a bodied experience. And so women who, um, and it's not to say, it's like women who are, you know, it's the feminine principle that is the feeling, you know, embodying aspect. And, you know, we're, yes, we're in this culture that doesn't allow men to express their full humanity and to really embody their feminine aspects. But that's the way that women connect. Um, and even just even speaking about consent, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and I think that it has a lot to do with again i'm going to go back to disney and um hollywood romance that the the story is is that in male female relationship dynamics the man is the chaser right he's he has to chase the woman plays her demure role um and in almost all of the stories the women are 
taken a little bit by force. You know, like like if you pay close attention, a lot of the stories are are of of women being um, there's a there's a subtle coercion. Um, that's actually interesting. Um, which one? I think it's American Dad. There's a um, I don't remember the episode, but there is a clip in the episode where um, there's a scene where a man is playing. He's pretending to be um, Sean Connery's James Bond. And he just keeps repeating, you're going to have something to the effect of you're going to have sex with me now. And she's like, I don't want to have sex with you. And he, and he just keeps repeating it over and over again. You want to have sex with me? And she's like, I don't want to have sex with you. Until finally she gives in and she's like, okay, I'll have sex with you. And, and that plays out so much in um, Hollywood romance. And you're right. And, and even like, and it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting because men are socialized and conditioned to not ask for it, just take it. Um, and I think that, that you can have that, but you have to be in agreement. You have to be in agreement beforehand. Um, and it actually, you, I think in that, I feel in that moment that you actually recognized his humanity by, by asking for permission to put your tongue in his mouth. Um, because we forget that about men too, that they actually are, they have their human, they have a humanity Mm -hmm. piece. It's interesting. I had a girlfriend, um, a while back we were talking and she was talking to this guy that was a little resistant for, for reasons that had nothing to do with her directly about getting involved with her. And because he was like a friend of one of her family, one of her close family members. And so he was he he had expressed that he was attracted to her, but that he had a lot going on with himself personally. And also that there was this, you know, other dynamic that he wasn't ready to breach yet. And what that meant for her was I need to turn it on more. So that meant that she flirted more and she was a little more frisky and she was often way more suggestive. And she was telling me, and she was like really feeling proud of herself. Like, like, you know, I know eventually he's gonna whatever. And I said, you owe him an apology. And she was like, what? And I said, you owe him an apology. And I said, because if, if he was doing that to you after you drew a line and said, this is my line, and he kept trying to push, for one, you would say he was stalkerish. Yes. And he was out of line and he don't know how to take no for an answer and all of those things that women say. And I was like, but you have been violating his boundaries I was like, you owe the man an apology. You need to tell him. Like, he told you no, that he wasn't ready. And for you, that meant green light. When he was clearly said, red mm-hmm. light, stop. You kept going. And I was like, but because of conditioning, he's mm-hmm. not looking at it like that. But that's what's happening. Yes. Right. Because for like, sure, if the roles were reversed. Apology. Yeah. That yeah. you'd, be, you'd be talking shit to your friends if he was doing that. And they would be on the soapbox with you. Oh, no, uh-uh. you need to leave him alone because he's crazy. You know, like, <laughs> all of the things that we say, but not ever really owning the fact that we do the same thing and not being able to accept because as a woman, you know, we don't get rejected in that way as mm-hmm. often as men do. Yes. You know, and so she just felt like she was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize. And I was like, yeah, you. You owe him an apology because he drew a line and you keep crossing it every single time you talk to him, you know, and consequently, once she apologized, of course, he changed his tone. And of course, things move forward. But 
that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, she, but she, she was violating his boundaries and women get away with it because of the dynamics mm-hmm. that we never really look at. Like we, they don't just need consent. We do too. Yes. And they yeah. deserve, they deserve the same level of, you know, compassion in that way that we expect mm-hmm. because a, a, a guy would not be able to get away with that. For sure. Without yeah. it becoming a big giant thing. Yeah. Hmm. So mm-hmm. layered. So many, <laughs> so many things, so many things all the time. All the time. The Sensuality Project is produced, edited, and hosted by me. Music by bensound.com. The Sensuality Project podcast is a production of stacyherrera.com. 